This is a Moraine Valley Community College Library event podcast. For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu slash library. Good morning. I do apologize for the delay. We were having some technical issues, but I think we've got them straightened out. My name is Gail Ditchman, and I am one of the education instructors here at Moraine Valley. It gives me a great deal of pleasure to introduce our guest speaker today, Barb Tobias. Barb is the Autism Resource Specialist for Clearbrook. Clearbrook is located in the northwest suburbs, and she is developing their Autism Family and Resource and Community Room. Barb formerly was the Information Research Specialist for the Autism Society for Illinois. When I first met Barb about a year ago, and we talked about her making this presentation, she said to me, are you sure you want me to do this? I'm a parent. Well, I have to tell you that in all of our conversations over the last year, Barb is far more than just a parent. It is true that she has two boys, one that is highly impacted with autism. But in addition to that, Barb holds a Bachelor's of Science degree in Education with certification in bilingual education and English as a second language. She's also taught learning resource, I believe, in the high school? Elementary. In the elementary school for quite a few years. Um, in addition, Barb has adapted religious education curriculum and taught inclusive classes at her church. She is an active member of her school district's PTA committee um, for children with their special needs. She has also created and oversees an extension, extensive home program which supports and enriches her son's education therapies, recreations, and responsibilities. My favorite part about Barb is the fact that both she and her husband and her oldest son have worked so hard to enhance their son's quality of life and life with their family. Her presentation today, Autism Spectrum, The Gifts We Share, is based on her beliefs that everyone, no matter what kind of disability they have, should be able to work, socialize, and recreate in their community to the best of their abilities. She believes that all individuals have gifts to share. All we have to do is open our hearts and our minds and listen. So please help me welcome Barb Tobias. Well, okay, I already started crying when Gail did that introduction about our family. Um, I'm the person who's here not because I want to be, but because I need to be. I need to be here because I have a story to tell that I think can help a lot of other people in, with disabilities. Um, I am a reluctant speaker sometimes because giving up our private life and sharing our private story can be painful as a family. But on the positive side, by sharing our story and by reflecting on what we're doing and what's happening in our lives, it's actually helping us to, do, to reach the next level, not only for our son William, but also for um, our son John and our family as a whole. So with that in mind, I want you to know no question is off limits. Okay, I'm going to tell as much of the story as I can in, I'm going to try to keep it to 45 minutes, and then I'll open up for questions. No question is off limits, and I'm going to tell you stuff you probably haven't heard about autism, um, and I'm going to tell you stuff that you know very well, but I'm going to tell you as a family how we make it work. So with that in mind, I want to thank all of you for being here this morning. It's an honor for me to present to all of you and share with you our story. And you must be here for a very important reason, to help others with disabilities. So I thank you for what you're doing. Um, let me go ahead and get started. <clears throat> so I'm a reluctant advocate. Um, I can tell you that right now, very briefly, there is no known cause, there is no known cure for autism. What do we know about autism generally? We know that there, is, there have been found some genetic chromosomal components to autism that environmental factors seem to trigger the, the bringing on of the autism and the severity. Now, wh what do we know about that? Not much. We're just at the beginning stages. But I have to tell you, this is a very exciting time in the, um, in the technology world, in the scientific world, and in the world of the study of neurology. Because among all of that, 
we are coming to, we're getting closer and closer to autism spectrum disorders. Now, let me tell you about autism spectrum disorders very quickly. I just talked to someone this morning who has a child who is very high functioning, very verbal, uh, very bright, doing very, very well. Over here, you have my son, William. He is highly, highly impacted by autism. What does that mean? That means that, let me tell you about the four core, well, the three core elements of autism. The three core elements of autism are social skills issues, challenges in, uh, in communicating, interacting socially, reading social situations. So that might look like the person who keeps talking when they don't realize it's time to stop talking. Very subtle. That might be to a more greater extreme. That might be the person who treats you like a doornail, doesn't, under, doesn't understand how to interact with you. So you have that social aspect. So those are two extremes of that piece. The second area is in um, actual language. There is some correlation and some clear issue in language for all people on the spectrum. Now, again, let me show you, tell you the really positive extreme of that language is someone who uh, has learned language so fast and their vocabulary is off the charts, their ability to articulate is phenomenal, they're almost like a walking textbook, okay? Then you have the other extreme, which is my son, William, nonverbal, not one word, okay, um, who requires other means for communication, low-tech versions, which are picture systems, communication boards, as well as high-tech versions. And that's another great thing about having autism today is there's a lot of great technology, which allows me to give you this PowerPoint today, but also allows someone like William to be able to use a high-tech uh, means of communication so he can get to comments like, ooh, she's a hottie in the hallway as a 13-year-old, um, as well as yuck, don't sing happy birthday to me. Um, so he's able to say those things but using a device that helps him. Okay, so we covered the first two. We've got social, skill issue, social skills issues, we have communication issues, and the third one I just drew a blank on. Um, okay, one, two. Social skills, communication, and um, <laughs> wait a second. I, just, I can't believe I drew a blank on that one. All right, I will, pardon me? And sensory, thank you. Um, and sensory issues. Oh, thank you. I just drew a blank on that one. All right, and sensory issues. Sensory issues are how you, your body interprets, uh, takes in and responds to the sensory environment. Some people, it's as simple as the tags on their collars, on their clothes may bother them. That's a, that's a minor but annoying sensory sensitivity. Other people can't take background noise. They can't take music while they're studying. And then there's William who just the talking at the dinner table can be so overwhelming for him that he needs to leave the table because all of that noise sounds like uh, banging cymbals. So it's too much for him to tolerate. So you can have, again, very great extremes in that area. Okay, so we know that. What else do we know about autism? We also know that 30, and this is a, there's some discrepancy here. There's a, um, 30 to 60% of people with autism also have some form of epilepsy. Might be a minor seizure disorder where you just have staring spells or absent seizures all the way to generalized seizure disorder where you are going into convulsions and it looks like you stop breathing. <clears throat> well, that's my son, William. He's in that category of seizures, seizure disorder. We also have 30% of people with autism have motor planning issues. Another important thing to know because you can have someone, and I go meet monthly with this um, group of moms who all their, kid, their kids have autism as well. And what we have found is that here's this mom who was new to the group last month, and she says, oh, my son's in high school, and he tried out for the soccer team, and he made the soccer team. And I'm sitting there thinking, my son can't even put on his own clothes. He can't always motor plan from the table to the chair. 
Okay, so talk about extreme differences in motor planning issues. But again, that's a common factor. So you also have seizures, you have motor planning, okay, and then you also have um, obviously the, the language issues, but some cases you have a psychiatric component. Now the percentage of that is much smaller. It's like 9 or 10 percent. What is that? That is where your emotional state, your moods, you cannot manage, you can't interpret moods well, um, and you can't interpret the moods of some other, other people very effectively. Okay, so you take all of that into effect. William seems to have that when he's having seizures. Okay. Then you have also um, the issue of just um, odd behaviors, repetitive behaviors. You can have the um, OCD-like behaviors. There's also um, discussion in the field about whether OCD, obsessional compulsive um, disorder, where you repeat, you have to keep doing something again and again. Um, my son likes to clap by his left ear, and we haven't figured out why he does that. But um, that is an OCD component. Does he truly have OCD? We don't know. The doctors don't know. We don't know if it's from the seizures. We don't know if it's from the autism. We don't know if it's a frustration calming behavior because he can't talk. He has trouble interacting in the world. He's, he's clearly very smart. We keep being told that. Um, we've also been told he's the most in, unique child they've ever worked with. Every doctor, the first appointment, they say, we know what to do with him. I promise you we can help your child. And then by the fifth, the sixth month into this, they say he's the most unique child we've ever worked with. Well, we have learned to say to them, that is considered a swear word. Do not say that to us. Um, because that just is, continues the saga as a family, the pain of here we go again. It's not like we're not pounding the pavement. We are. We're trying to find those experts who are, you know, making headway that can help us. Okay. So having said that, the background of autism, I would like to now focus the rest of this time in talking about the impact for our family. All right. So there's beautiful William. Can you guess who he is? <laughs> He's the one in the uniform, he's the one that's not looking, and he's the one that's clapping. But he's also smiling in his frown. What does that tell me? I can tell you that he was thrilled to death that his brother and his brother's br best friend, John's the guy in the middle, the blondie, I don't know how you get that. You'd think the guy on the left would be mine, right? No, that's his best friend. Nope, not mine. Um, so, no, I got the blondie. <laughs> and the blue eyes, too. Um, so John is, is my tall guy, and his best friend Scott came along to cheer on Will's best buddy, his, um, his buddy baseball team. Now, so well, let me tell you about this story. Will is very excited. He's frowning because this is overwhelming to him. It's a change in the routine. Usually I get to the baseball field, Mom. We go and I sit on the, in the dugout. I meet my one-on-one -on -one buddy who's going to help me play baseball. But now you've got me standing in front of the flagpole and I'm taking a picture. Huh, don't like that. But, hey, my brother's here and his friend Scott are here. Cool. All right, this is vacation. Now, I think this is the funniest picture. Who are the two people looking at the camera? Mom and Dad. Nobody else. Not even the dog. <laughs> um, it's very, I think this, to me, I just love this picture because it's kind of like, you know, we're, pretty, we're a pretty comical family when you look at that. We've got our funny dog, Bella, our Labradoodle, who was just ecstatic. She was a puppy at the time, and she wanted to go play in the rocks. And then we have John, who's being the perfect child. And believe it or not, we are not University of Michigan fans, but our uh, friends of ours sent, because we had a MSU sweatshirt on at the time, someone dubbed it over U of M. So anyway, so John was closing his eyes because... Um, you know, again, trying to be the perfect kid, but the sun, the light was bright. And there's William. Do you know what's happening there? My husband is holding him down because he is about to run. 
And you know where he'll run? In the water. Okay. 80% of people who die at, um, with unexplained or um, non-medical deaths who have autism die from drowning. The drowning is not because they can't swim. It's because they're drawn to water. So it's important for you to know that because you will, they inexplicably, very quietly, just walk like zombies to water, to a pool, to whatever. So there's Mr. William. He thinks this whole thing is funny. That's our favorite spot. We vacation up in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, and we take a picture there annually. But that's my favorite one because it shows how silly and how much we're trying to keep it all together. Okay, this is Willet Buddy Baseball. This is an example of how it takes a village to raise a child with special needs, especially with autism. Okay, we've got, see there's this little, see the little red sleeve there? Okay, that's a volunteer helping. Now you have two other volunteers. The man with the sunglasses, he's a paramedic from Buffalo Grove, um, police, um, Buffalo Grove, and he came to volunteer. He was Will's buddy for that day. And the man with tried to help hold on to the bat there with the uh, cap on. That man is an assistant coach. He also has a child with a disability. But it takes a village because that took three people to help Will bat that ball. Did Will not want to bat? No, Will wanted to bat. But the motor planning was so hard. And to do it on time, to keep the game moving, he needed assistance. Now look what's happening. Is Will looking away because he doesn't want to? No. He's looking away because motor planning not only affects his ability to swing the bat, but motor planning affects his ability to get his eyes where they need to be. So what is hard? Things like that. He has trouble seeing below a certain field of vision. So when you work with someone with autism, whether it's your family member or in the school system or therapeutically, you want to be considering what is happening in their visual system. Are they able to look at the item on the page, or are they, can they not get that motor plan there? So do you get misbehavior, quote-unquote, because they're escaping the task or because they can't motor plan visually to look at that piece of paper or to look at the board? So important to know. So it takes a village. All right, this is another. I'm sorry, these make me laugh, you guys. You guys are just going to think I'm a nut. Um, okay, here is John. They're getting ready for the first day of school. John's got his backpack on. It's a picture of Will, first day of school. But what's happening? John is mad. You can't see it. He's mad. You know why? Because his brother claps all the time. All the time. Till the minute he falls asleep. And the way you know he's awake in the morning is because you hear, instead of mom, you hear clap, 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 clap from his room. That's his way of saying, I'm awake. Okay. But John did not want another picture with Will clapping. John did not want to hear that clapping one more time before he left for school. So it's a great picture in the sense of here's the effect of the family. Here's a sibling, his older brother, who's hugely compassionate and protective of William and is, is just a great, um, he's, a, you know, he's, he's learned how to do therapy with William just by being his brother. Uh, but what he has done here is say, you know what, I need the brakes. I need the brakes put on this. I need, I, I need a timeout from the clapping. So he stops it. This is what you get at home from families. Most families, well, many families will not want to talk about this. They will not want to talk about how hard it is to deal with these kinds of things. But I can tell you last Saturday when he was clapping and clapping and clapping, and by the time Will's respite worker, we have a home therapy program, came, I said to Jason, you know, I think I'm going to have a nervous breakdown if I hear that one more time. And Jason's like, okay, we're going out today, you know, changing the direction of things. If families don't have support, you have no way of getting that break. So I love William, don't like the autism, 
don't like the epilepsy. Okay, here's a great picture of William. Now he's got his eyes. He was able to visually motor plan to actually look at the camera. Notice also where his hands are. They're close to where his visual space is. He, he can't define, discriminate where different parts of his motor planning system need to be. He, has, he overgeneralizes. So the eyes are up, well, so are the hands up clapping. That helped him focus to look at the camera. And, of course, then the buddy's holding him <laughs> to help him stay still. Okay, this one is just plain cute, and it's not great. It's not great background. I'm going to explain the background story. The background story of this is we, um, through a, a lovely group, Sue Mains in Naperville, they have um, gotten um, North Central um, College Band to perform spe for special needs kids and adults. Um, special concerts where they can jump in the aisle, dance in the aisle, and hoop and holler and do whatever they need to do to enjoy the music. Where like going to my son's high school, bringing William to a concert is really hard because every, he, he's expected to sit and be quiet and applaud appropriately. Well, Will applauds the whole time. So this was just him having pure fun. You can see he has a backpack on. The backpack is also to help have weight on his body. Um, it's got his extra clothes and basics that he needs. But again, because of motor planning and sens sensory issues, having that weight on his back helps him to feel where he is in space. Okay. Okay. Behind the scenes. This is what parents are often dealing with. Often a child with autism may have been a very inconsolable baby. Might have been labeled colicky, ear infections. That was our case. Um, <clears throat> digestive problems. Running to and from therapies. Now, when we started uh, uh, getting Will help, he was a baby. I knew at five months old something was wrong. He was sitting in his little high chair. And in order to reach to his left, instead of just reaching with his left hand, he literally turned around in the high chair to reach with his right. He had no sense of his left side of his body. When the um, newborn reflexes start to dissipate is when an astute parent and good medical care can start to see some signs that there are motor planning and sensory issues that would be early signs of autism. <clears throat> um, the other piece is calling for help, trying to find anyone and everyone who can help. I went into the pediatrician and I said, I, you know, I need your help. There's something wrong with my baby. And he literally said to me, fortunately he and I still talk, he said, you're nuts. And I said, well, then let's get a neurologist or some expert to tell me what I'm doing wrong and fix me as the mom because we can't live like this. William um, did not sleep for longer than 45 minutes at a time for the first two years of his life. When he was awake, he was crying, he was screaming, and he was arching, throwing his body back. Now, what we know now is that, that throwing his body back was either digestive issues or soft signs of seizures. Okay. So I said to my doctor, well, let's just find a neurologist who can figure out if it's me or if it's him and then tell me what to do. So we just move forward. But personal injury, I'm still telling that story. That still hangs with me as a mom because as much as he meant well, as a mother, it was horrible that I couldn't take care of my baby. No matter how hard I tried, I couldn't seem to make it work. And that I had to ask for help. And then I was told I was nuts. That was painful. He was well-intentioned. He was a funny man, so he thought he was being funny. Wrong time to be funny. Um, but it's the, the residual effect that that takes on a family. Um, and in those days, we didn't have the opportunity to go um, to have people come into the house. The system in Illinois was such that you had to take your baby to a therapist center to get help for early intervention. And since then, that has changed. They now go to the family's home, which is um, a plus because all I kept thinking was, this cannot be healthy. I'm carrying them from car seat to the house, house to the car seat. And that's all we did. <coughs> um, 
the other problem we ran into was people's comments and people's looks. So Will had ear infections from six weeks old till nine months old when we decided to have tubes put in because we were trying to find any way to make him healthy so he would sleep and eat and be at his best and ready to learn. Well, um, I'd take him to the doctor. We'd wait in the waiting room. I have the screaming baby. I have my little two-and-a-half-year-old, angel of a child. And then we finally get into the appointment. They say, yes, you need you need a prescription. He does have an ear infection. Then we had to get back in the van, drive to the pharmacy. They didn't have drive-through then. Get out of the van and go into the pharmacy and wait for the pharmacy pickup and then come out. Well, I can tell you, I knew what was going to happen every time we went into that store. As soon as he got in that store, something about the lights, something about the sounds would set William off. These are the crazy things that happen with autism at times. And so he's, his sensory system was not able to tolerate this. There wasn't the myelination on the neurons in the brain to protect him from that. So, um, <clears throat> excuse me, so he would just scream. So I prepared myself, get in, get to that pharmacy, do whatever I could to get it as fast as I could, and then get out. And then we'd all be worn out because it's just traumatic, that kind of crying, screaming, no matter what we did, singing, rocking, quiet time, it didn't work. Um, and then there were the dreaded outings. The dreaded outings are what we call, you know, the family outings. And like at this time of year, I'd be going to the pumpkin farm. Well, William, when he was outside, was calm. And then as soon as you brought him inside, he would get really, um, then he would just crash. Then it would be the crying, screaming, can't sleep, can't eat. Even while I would be breastfeeding him, if the, a day like today, if it, there was one cloud that came over and just shadowed the room a little bit, that would stop him from feeding. Start the crying, and then we couldn't finish. So that's, he's the extreme case of the autism. Now, <clears throat> here's the funny part. We had great, great help. We had, this is a, one of his OTs, Kathy Kaler, who's now in Australia doing magnificent, magnificent work in the field of autism and occupational therapy. Um, now, William, do you see he's holding an ear because he's trying to organize his body? And he's also not drinking from that sippy cup. He is chewing on it. That's, again, trying to organize his body. And he was able to look at the camera because he used all those other means to facilitate organizing his body for the goal that he had. Um, so we, have, we had an OT, we, we've had OTs, we've had speech therapy, we've had occupational therapy, we've tried, um, we had an intensive uh, program when he was younger. William defied all odds. By the age of six, he was age appropriate, he was verbal, he used 18-word sentences, he would say, well, actually, da-da-da-da-da-da. Um, he, he had made phenomenal progress. But then the seizures started to rear their ugly head. And they reared their ugly head in such a way that we lost all functioning. He lost all memory. He didn't know who we were. He didn't know his brother. He became incontinent, would urinate and have bowel movements wherever he was, didn't know what was happening to him. And he has since then never been able to talk. The good news is, He's not incontinent unless he's having seizures. The bad news is if, he ha if he's having seizures, it causes incontinence with him because of where it affects his brain. And again, because of the high correlation between epilepsy and autism, it is important to note. So we pulled, we pulled in the bigwigs. We got this great developmental therapist and a few, this is Mike Ruggles, comes to our house twice a week. Uh, and works with Will and the family. And what he does is really, he's just the funniest guy. And if you're um, watching Channel 7, November 14th, he has a show that's going to be premiering called Super Nanny. I've been telling him for years that he needed to have a television show like Super Nanny, but with special needs families. So lo and behold, this man 
happened to know people in California because he lived there in the past and got a show going. So if you want to see Big Mike, we call him Big Mike, um, November 14th, um, Super Manny, that'll be, it's going to be exciting for us as a family to see him. And hopefully his show will be a success. He still comes to our house. He's not going to leave us. He promised. I said, we're moving. We're following you everywhere. Um, but we are desperate for our people who come into our home. What people like Mike and Kathy Kaler do is they help make it possible for us to lower our anxiety, and they model some strategies that maybe we haven't thought about because we're pretty tired. <coughs> All right, there's Will biting his, his lip. He's just done his favorite thing, which is tubing. My mother thinks it's horrible that we take him tubing. I say, Mom, if he dies happy, then that's all that matters. We can control quality of life. We can't control quality, quantity of life, no matter how healthy the person is. All right, here are other challenges. Now you get to see the ugly parts of my house. Here we go. This is the office. This is, these are bills from therapists, doctors, Paperwork, IEPs, documentation. This is Will's home program, cabinet area. All of those folders all have systems, whether it be spelling, reading, writing, math, um, games, cooking lessons, uh, vocabulary. We've got it all. There's another one, more files for keeping our acts together, and more. Okay. So, all right, I have to tell you this one part because this is, this one, this one is, I think this is pretty much what embodies life in general. We just happen to have this package with William. The unintended journey. All right, let's talk about, let's talk about the first date, the person you like and you're finally going on your first date. Or you fall in love and you get married. There's the fantasy. Wow, it's going to be great. They're so lovely and cute and hot and so supportive. And we do so much fun things together. I'm going to have a great time. And then you start dating. Then you get married. And it's lovely and it's great. And they're better than you expect. But there's also the reality involved. And the reality is, there's the dishes and the bills and the grass to cut. And there's the negotiations of, well, no, I want to go out with my guy friends tonight. Or, no, I want to go out with my girlfriends tonight. But you said you were going to go out with me. And there's that reality in negotiations. So what happens, I take that as truly the situation that we're in, is that this is the unintended journey. There's the fantasy versus the reality. And so the fantasy was we were going to have this healthy baby boy and that he was going to play sports and he was going to, you know, be awesome, of course. And um, turns out he is awesome. But how we get there and how we support him to have the full life that he needs and he deserves is just totally not what we expected. And that's the piece, if you are working with families, to recognize that they're advocating for their child or their adult on the spectrum or their adult with special needs in general. But there is there that the fact that they're living, we're living a reality we really didn't want. Not for us and especially not for our child. So walk gently and recognize that sometimes when the parent is curt on the phone or the note seems short, like, what was that about? It's probably because the parent is stressed. There's something else going on, and they're just kind of running on empty. Okay? So what often happens is you're on this unintended journey. You have the unfamiliar waters. There are dangers you never, ever expected, and there are ple pleasures you didn't expect. William steals the show wherever he goes. Now, he could tell a knock-knock joke at age two before he could say one single word. How do you do that? But he could do it. He stole the show. My mother used to say, he talks with his eyes. He doesn't need words. Everybody seemed to know what he, he needed. Um, so, uh, so that's another piece that you need to remember. 
and there are unlikely relationships. Some you want, some you don't want. I'm so grateful to his school staff and his home team. Will has, we have the most supportive, knowledgeable, effortful, committed staff, both at school and at home. But I can tell you, I wish I knew these people for another reason, not for this reason. So there's always at the core that pang of, I don't know if I'd call it sadness, but not really what you want it to be. Okay, so this is another piece that we deal with all the time. How did I get here? When will this journey end? Early on, parents are thinking, I'm going to cure my child. And that's the one thing I have against the Cure Autism Now groups and finding the cure. I'm not opposed to that. Please, let's find a cure. Please, let's find a cause. But in the meantime, I've got this child right now who needs help. So how do we get that child help? So that's great that they're out there doing that work, and I support that. But it's really important to differentiate between right now, how do we help that child be the best that they can be? Okay. So finding these valuable relationships, lots of work. Keeping the relationships, lots of work. Guiding and nurturing them, lots of work. People who come to me, they always say, I never leave here on time. I'm like, oh, you just like us so much. And the truth is, when I, when, people, when I hire people to come in and work at home with my child, I say to them, you have to be willing to be part of our family because you're in my home. It's not a therapy center. It's our home. My other son needs to feel that social interaction. Uh, we had one therapist. When John was in third grade, he would come running up to me, Mom, she's not doing it right. He's, she's not having him use the fork right. You must fire her. And I'd be like, no, John, we need to give her time. We're just going to help her. And we worked with her and worked with her. But ultimately, John was right as a nine-year-old. He was right. But um, I believe in helping, you know, and making accommodations to help the person share their strengths. But it really didn't work in that case. She was a wonderful woman, but it just wasn't the right fit. But otherwise, what we have is we work, I work really hard to have these people know us personally because it is our home. So I treat them like they're my neighbors coming over. And then it also helps William because he's the best that he can be. And there's the unending question, where do we go from here? William is 13, going to be 14. We already need to start planning for his adulthood. Actually, we've been planning since he was eight. That's what you need to do. And that's not what most families are ready for. Okay. Great speaker. If you ever have a chance to see him, Dr. Luke Sai, he's on the, um, the professional, the medical advisory board of Autism Society of America. He has an adult son with autism and he is just not only scientifically very strong, so you really get a lot of knowledge, but he's also um, compassionately strong and philosophically strong. And what he says is when you can't change the direction of the wind, change the direction of your sail. And that's what it is as a family and sometimes when we run into bumps in the road it's when we realize we're trying to make will fit in a place that he can't in the way we've done it that we need to make the accommodations so that will can be the best that he can be okay so another great thing from uh, Dr. Sai is how much of the day's activities are really special needs so we can look at it as you have 33% of your day is sleeping, 2% is in the bathroom, we all do that, eating is about 4% of the day, school work is around 25% of the day, traveling, bus, driving, whatever, to and from school, to and from work is 6% of your day, and 30% of your day is, a, is the problem, the special needs. So what does that tell me? That means that I... One can take a breather. I don't have to be working so hard 100% of the day. As a parent, it's validating. The other piece is, really, how much of William is not, quote, unquote, is not normal? Most of it is normal. There are other pieces, that 30%, that we need to really help him through. Okay, so 70% of the child's life is normal. 30% is not normal or problematic. 
So it's all in your perception. So when you're working with someone who has special needs, when you're working, um, when you have a family member with special needs, remember that, how to have the perception that is going to be the most helpful. Now, what, how can we all help each other? Well, sharing the gifts you have. William has special gifts that he shares with other people. When Big Mike has got him on a scooter riding down a hill, standing up, and he is, um, Mike rides with him because of his seizures and he wears a helmet. But when the, honks, honk, the horns are honking and everyone's waving or someone comes out their door and says, go, well, go, or when the neighbor girl gets on her skates and she comes skating with him, that is support. That's incidental support, but that is support. We happen to live within walking distance of a Starbucks. Well, William after he does his chores on Saturdays, gets to pick with his therapist what he gets to do for fun. So he may go up to Starbucks, he may go out for lunch, he may choose to go swimming. But all of those people that he comes across, all of those people make an, uh, can have, have an opportunity to have a positive effect on him and for William to be able to... Um, have an interaction with them. So it's really important to seize those relationships, seize those opportunities. When Will goes to Starbucks, he comes with his little device to request what he wants from Starbucks, and they all know to listen to what he points to, and then, uh, or to look at what he points to, but then nobody makes them pay because they all like him so much. I'm like, we're working on money. Please make him pay. Okay, a quarter. I'm like, oh. But anyway, so but we are blessed and fortunate that we have people in our community. The circle of support is great. Now, there are other families who are choosing not to go out. Some days I'm not up for it. I'm not up for the stares. I'm not up for the looks. There was a stage where John was very angry. He would say to me when we would be at a restaurant, I want to punch that person over there. And I want to go over to that table and say something. So it's really, really difficult. But what we do is we focus on who is helping us. His bus driver, he has an aide. The aide sits there with his communication device and talks, about, talks to him about what's going on for the day. So remember, as a family, we live in fishbowls. We're not too happy about that. In order to get help for our, our child, in order to advocate for our child, we lose our privacy. We share some of the worst stories nobody would want to admit. We, um, we have a sense of loss of direction because we're not sure where it's going to lead, and we lose our autonomy. The other piece is when you're working with therapists and the school system, we've not always had great school staff. We've not always had great, um, great support therapists. Sometimes their input, although well-intentioned, is really a judgment on our weaknesses as a family. Well, if you remind a family about their weaknesses, how likely are they to improve? Not too much. But if you can tell them what they're doing right and give them tools to help them continue to move forward, then they're going to move in a positive direction. You need to believe that a person, every person can learn as William is truly that. So these are some barriers to communications for families, which I talked about. <clears throat> I won't go into that. Um, but very quickly, be slow to pass judgment. Question, is this, is, this a, is this judgment I'm having, is this going to help the family? And the judgment I'm having, what tools do I need to gather to help that family move forward for the child's sake. Because I can tell you that this William has a lot of potential, but he's trapped. And when I meet with staff and therapists, I remind them, I'm not planning till 21 to get him through the educational system. I'm planning for when I'm dead. I want William to be the most he can be. I want him to work in the community. I want him to live in the community. I want him to be able to take care of himself. I want him to recreate in the community. I want him to have hobbies. What those will look like and how we will get there, that's going to be different. And it continues to be different. But if I keep reminding people that someday I won't be here 
and that we need to plan for Will's life, then that's when it seems to help everybody remember where we're, where we're going. And everyone's willing to help. We just need, people just need to know what our goal is. So here's our family at my parents' 50th anniversary. Now this is a picture that we put in because it's an example of Will could not organize at all. He was in tight shoes, a suit, okay? All right, so the life goal is to learn, work, live, recreate, and socialize in the community. If you think about that, that's what everyone's goal is. Everyone. How that works, how you get there, what those details are, that's going to be different based on on what's happening. And remember, behavior, all behavior is communication. So when you see a behavior that's negative or questionable, think about what's happening. When Will's really excited, like he heard an old song he hadn't heard a long time last night, he got so excited we couldn't even get his shoes on him. I said, Will, you can be excited inside and have a calm body outside. So we have to give him words because he is dis disoriented from his body. And I'll leave you with um, this last thought is that assume competence. If we see their abilities and we build on them and we work around or strengthen those um, the areas that are disabilities, then we're going to get farther. But everyone can learn. Everyone can um, be part of society. And everyone has a means to communicate and interact in their world. Okay, this is a chain game. He got a home run. They get to pick their home runs in baseball. That was all his team. Community of support and therapist. Here he is. Happy as could be. Still clapping. <laughs> There's the crazy clan. And remember, you may only be one person in the world, but to one person you may mean the world. And whether it's just walking through the store and you see someone with a disability and you say hi or you just give them a smile, you are still making a difference in their life or whether you are a teacher or a therapist providing services for them. So thank you very much for listening to my story. And if you have any questions, I'd be very happy to answer them. Okay, question. Okay, the question is, he wears a backpack to help feel the space. It's to help him feel his body. So what William will do wherever he is, is he's leaning. He'd have his feet tangled up in here. He'd have his feet tangled up. He'd be leaning against everybody. He can't feel his body. I had the pleasure of talking to a young, a young man with autism who was nonverbal but could type. And I asked him, I asked him about that. You know, my son seems seems disconnected from his body. What can you explain? Because he showed the same traits as William, and he said, "My body is my enemy. It doesn't do what I want it to do. I'm in constant battle with my body. So my mind is thinking, but my body's moving in different directions. When you give them weights." weighted things, if that feels good to them, it can help them feel their body. They feel like, uh, many of them feel like they're disconnected from their neck down. So because of the proprioceptive, they need that input. They can't feel it. Some people like a lot of covers on, the, on their bed to be covered up and snuggled up. Some people like a lot of layers that's similar to that. Um, and some people don't like a lot. They're hypersensitive to that. You wonder why are they outside? It's freezing and they're wearing barely a T-shirt. Um, that's also a proprioceptive issue. So you have more than just your five senses. You have proprioceptive and vestibular. Vestibular is the movement in space. Where am I in space? Proprioceptive is that w grounding of your body in space. And that's where a weighted backpack. And there are, they make weighted vests and lap pads that you can use also. Okay, other questions? Yes. Okay, personal opinion. Um, I'm sure there is some link in some kids. Um, I don't believe that it's in all kids. I believe that th we could call them autisms, plural, because there is not one cause for autism. And that's why it's a spectrum disorder, 
because we have different, um, different inhibitors, okay? You may have a tendency because of a chromosomal imbalance or chromosomal issues. You may be more likely to, but I also believe very highly that, that we're talking about toxicities in other things, not just vaccines. And I know they've said again and again that there isn't a connection, but if you look at the person at the CDC and the research that was done, there is some question about the validity and reliability of that. But having said that, not every person with autism the causes vaccines. I think we will know a lot more in the next five to ten years. We are making huge strides. Okay, one more question from you and then we're moving right over there. I did follow the vaccination schedule and I could tell you that I lose sleep over that because I would be bringing him in for ear infections or a virus and they'd say, oh, it's almost time for his next vaccine, so let's just do it right now. You should never, never get vaccinated when you are not well. Never. The CDC has come out to admit that, if you, that they do not recommend getting the three vaccines together. There's the package, and I always forget all the names because of all the letters. But they have now admitted if you get all three together, you are at great risk of having epilepsy. Now, they say in most cases kids outgrow it. But let me tell you, we live with epilepsy. You don't want it, not even for a day. So the CDC has now said, okay, we don't, don't do this, so we're but yet, they're saying there's no connection. There's a connection, just not in every child in every case. Okay, your question? How do you feel the Terribly. Terribly. Financial burden. I didn't get into that. The financial burden is horrible. Um, many families do not have retirement. They use all their retirement investments for therapies. Illinois is one of the last states it's the 51st state, including Washington, D.C., for providing, special, for providing quality services to people with special needs. So if you move to another state, it will be better. The trick is moving. Now, um, the financial burden specifically, I can tell you, since William was identified, we have um, refinanced our house. We have, um, I know families that have actually sold their homes and moved in with other family. They use the, use the, um, the sale of their home to take care of the therapies. Um, a lot of the therapies are not covered. And I can tell you right now that we cannot afford therapy as a family. We have the, the state of Illinois, this is important for you to know if you know someone with special needs. The state of Illinois has the children's and adult waiver. You would go to the ARC of Illinois website, that's www.thearcofill, so T-H-E-A-R-C-O-F-I-L.org. Click on the PUNS database link, and that is your way into the system to be identified for need. If you do not do that, like if we hadn't done that, Will would never get any services in the state of Illinois even when we die. There would be no help for him um, because he would be considered not in the state, not identified. So it's the way for the Department of Human Services to recognize, um, find these people with special needs so that we are better funding. That's one thing. The other is that you apply for, ser for services, for these waivers. We were fortunate. I didn't realize it at the time, but we were one of the first families in Illinois to receive the waiver. Um, <clears throat> and this was me going into my pediatrician saying, how can you not know how to help me? We're, we're dying, you know. My husband works six days a week. He's a clinical psychologist. He makes a good living. Um, and he works four nights a week. We don't see him. So, and we cannot afford a cleaning service, so somehow on Sundays cleaning has to get done. I also work part-time. I was actually working 
one of the reasons I left the Autism Society of Illinois was because, fine, um, because William's seizures had gotten so bad that I needed to be home. So I had to stop working, even though financially we needed it. So it is devastating on families. Some families are... Um, have better insurance. We do have a good insurance pro provider generally, but speech therapy is not covered. Augmentative communication is not covered, and yet augmentative communication is an element of speech therapy. So uh, the battle of the fight to get the coverage is a huge challenge. Um, and then the alternative treatments. If you do go with alternative um, treatment methods, those are certainly not covered by insurance. Hyperbaric oxygen treatment, that's one that's been known to um, have a positive effect. And then there's also vitamins and mineral supplements and special diets. Those are very, very expensive. Uh, we have done that in the past. We did not see results that were positive um, in our case doesn't mean that it's not the case in other families. Some families it is. But certainly financially all those efforts, because there is no known cause, because there is no known cure, we are trying everything. And families are wiping out their savings and any of their income. I've known, uh, I know two families that got divorced to live separately in order to get funding from the state. They love each other. They didn't want to be divorced. But by being legally divorced, they were able to access funding. So people will go as far as they can. And there are others who just stop. If we didn't have the children's waiver, which um, provides us 15, 67 hours, to be precise, 67 hours of service a month, we have been very fortunate in finding qualified staff who like to work with William and like our family. And their job is to help Will with all of these life skills. Um, it's everything from helping him make sure he hangs up his coat on his own, follows a sequence of events when he gets home, to doing chores, getting his own snack, cleaning up after himself. I mean, he can't even motor plan to put the food on the fork and get it to his mouth. That's how impacted he is by the motor planning. Um, another element of autism is that you can regress over time. So, um, because of the effects of everything. And when you see Will rocking, it's because he's so excited, but he has no way to share it. So, when you see someone doing odd behaviors, they're usually got this great idea in their mind, but no way to show it except physically. Okay? Okay, other questions? Yeah. Well, you can do it at infancy. Um, most doctors do not want to because they don't want to rush um, a diagnosis. But certainly you can be getting services that are exactly in line with the needs of your infant um, as soon as you are concerned of a problem. Okay. But most doctors want to wait. And there is a good reason for that in some cases, in many cases, because sometimes when you get the diagnosis of autism, it can be such a negative uh, label that people lower their expectations. And that's really been the biggest challenge for us as a family is to say, hey, there's a thinker inside there. But you've got to help us get access to that. And we have to help him express that. Yes, sir. Yes. Right. We worked with them, and they. Uh, some families have great success. We just didn't. But, again, depending on the autism, that's why I say someday we are going to find different names. We're going to figure out different causes, different kinds of autism, and they'll probably get new names. And that would be why the work that, like, the Pfeiffer Clinic does, which is the vitamin and nutritional supplements, um, intensive, after they do all this blood work up and hair analysis, the intensive therapies with that, um, some, some children respond very positively to that. Yes? Oh, thank you for asking that question. Um, the question was, how do we find, one of the challenges is finding good people to work with our son, William, and how do we do that well? I can tell you, I just will not quit. 
Um, I, her, the, your junior college, like Moraine Valley, we put flyers up. Um, you know, made a real cute, put one of Will's real cute pictures up on the flyer. Uh, we call different departments. We happen to have Argosy University by us. Um, happen to make a link over there. A lot of Argosy students are looking for side jobs. It's flexible. The good news about doing in-home therapy is it usually works around a, a young adult like all of you um, around your schedule. And so parents are, if you have a preschooler, you might have be able to have someone come in your house and work with your child before or after preschool, or if they're in school all day, you may want, you know, you can have them come the days and the weekends. Um, I've been just really, I just don't quit, and I can also tell you I'm just really lucky. And there is no magic cure. Have we had bad ones? Yes. Have we ended those relationships? Yes. But do I respect them? Yes. It just wasn't the right fit. With the right person, the right fit, that relationship could only blossom. So that's what I look at is I look at Will's style and how he ticks and that person's style and how they tick. I do an extensive interviewing ahead of time. I don't even let them see my child in my house. I meet with them outside of the house at a different location and talk about, you know, you're making a commitment to our family. You're coming in. You're not only working with my child. You're going to be having a hopefully a positive effect on my other son and our wacky, you saw her wacky dog, um, who's got a Lucia Ball personality. So, um, so, and that we, that, you know, it's about being inclusive and that, can they, are they comfortable with that? Now, I've had people come in. I had one who was a social worker who really just wanted to observe and didn't really realize that she needed to interact because what also happens with people on the spectrum, especially William in this case, is that he, he tests you out. What's the expectation? What do you want from me? What kind of relationship are we going to have? He's had probably 50-some people in his life who have worked with him professionally over the years because he's needed that much help. Um, so he's very savvy, but he reads them out. And as they build the trust, and I always talk about that, you've got to build the trust. I'll help you with that. I model with them. We work together. We co-treat. They observe when they're ready. They jump in a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. We just keep making changes. But it is a commitment. That's why I talk about that journey. It's not the relationship that I want, but, boy, I'm really glad to have that relationship, and I nurture that relationship. You know, we recognize their birthdays. We recognize their anniversary. Jason, our therapist who's been here a year this week, you know, we're having a little party on Friday night to celebrate because he is a member of our family and also because they take Will to the bathroom. I mean, they're dealing with private parts of his body to help him. And that's another huge trust issue. So it's when I look at the core of which Will is going to be pushed by different people, I also try to match that and make it known the level of trust and the level of commitment I need. And I require one-year commitment because that's a real, I can't have people coming and going. It's too hard on my family because it is our home. And it is invasive, no matter how nice they are. It is invasive. So, sure. Um, right now I have two people who are getting their, doc, their PhDs in psychology. Um, but I, that's not always been the case. Some of them have been special ed teachers. Some of them have been special ed aides. Some of them have been just um, uh, a parent who was in the neighborhood who needed um, some kind of a job, a working position. And she, um, she was a great fit. Broke my heart when they had to move. We had a crying fest like you wouldn't believe. Um, so, so all different kinds of people, men and women, teens. Teens are a little bit you know, the younger, like high school age. I treat it more of a mom's helper. And I hate to say that because that's kind of lowers, the, your thought of that isn't that high. But it's that, I, you know, I, I don't expect them to take them to the bathroom. 
you know, I, I'm, they, they help and play games with him and help him with baseball and homework, but then I help with some of the harder, more private issues to honor that. Also, I've had family. My niece and my nephew both asked to work for us. So we've been very fortunate. Any other questions? All right. Oh, one more. It's six. It's six. Yeah. We had worked intensively with a home program, and a lot of families with a child with autism do an extensive home program and a therapy program, and the kids make great progress. Um, but then the seizures became very bad, and um, the seizures messed with different areas of his brain. They did not... Well, there's a, there's, the jury's still out whether there's brain damage. Every time he gets an MRI, they say, boy, he has a beautiful brain. And um, so that's great, but why those neurotransmitters are not communicating right is the, um, is the challenge. But very, why I share that story is it's very common to hear the story, and you've seen this a lot in the media, how they, their child was typical, and then around two, everything fell apart. Um, that parallel, our story parallels that, but just at a different age. But we really saw the signs when Will was an infant. I knew something was not right. We just kept trying to help him and do the right thing, and then we just tried. We just started seeking outside sources for help. But the, everyone's path is a little bit different. But those core issues are the same. I, I want to thank you all very, very much. It's been a pleasure speaking. If anyone wants to contact me, my email and phone number are up here. I'm happy to help along the way um, if there's anything I can be of service to. That, and could you help me one more time thank Barb for coming in and talking to us. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this Moraine Valley Community College Library event podcast. For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu library.